0: This is Sci-Fi Tech talk. Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Mike McPeak, and with me today is Julie Keel. Hello. And Jeff Sire. Hello, everyone. And today, we're going to talk about Inception. Uh, I, I hope I'm not dreaming when we talk about this, because you know, we, uh, you watch the movie, and after a while, you kind of do start to question what's reality and what's not here. But we'll, we'll start off with the summary from the... Um, uh, international Movie Database. Um, in a world where technology exists to enter the human mind through dream uh, invasion, a highly skilled thief is given the final chance of re- at redemption, which involves executing his toughest job to date, Inception. And then uh, we have, um, let's see, uh, DiCaprio plays uh, Dom Cobb, a thief uh, who commits uh, corporate espionage by infiltrating the subconscious of his targets. He has offered a chance to regain his old life as payment for a task considered to be uh, impossible. Inception. The implantation of another person's idea into a target's subconscious.
1: Ah, oh, this movie. <laughs> I have to admit, I watched it the first time and went, oh, my God, I need to watch that like five more times to figure out what's going on. <sighs>
0: it's onion movie. It's got layers uh, to go.
2: <laughs> like an onion layers.
1: No right. kidding. I even just read through the plot summary on Wikipedia. And even there, it's, it's a summary of the plot. And you're going, what? Where? Who? What? Um, it's this,
2: this is almost like one of those movies where three different people could watch it and come away with three kind of different takes on what happened
1: oh yeah or I mean and well the the the, to the technology I guess at the core of this is that um you know you basically sedate a person and then hook up some neuro something or other machine and you're able to somehow you know connect wires to wires and invade their, their dreams. I mean, that's the, the, the summation of the technology involved. But what happens in those dreams and, and how um, the, you, know, you keep those dreams straight, apparently there was this team of people going in and invading this dream. So every person on the team brings his own dream to the game. And you've got to figure out whose dream you're actually in to figure out which, what's going yeah, okay. Explaining this gets complicated. You know.
0: And that's where my head started to hurt because at, at different levels within, as they go deeper and deeper into this guy's uh, subconscious, I could never quite tell whose dream they were in.
2: Oh, I know. I, they construct them, I think. Like they didn't go in saying, "Oh, what's this going to be?" Like, "Oh, it's a hotel. Let's go with it." Like they they constructed each of the layers.
1: Yeah, because they have on their staff uh, an architect, right. uh, you know, essentially a student intern, whose job is to create all these layers. So there's a heck of a lot of planning that occurs before you go in. Um, you well,
0: know. And- not just an architect, somebody that's good at uh, labyrinths, mazes, and puzzles because you don't want this – you don't want the person that whose mind you're messing around in to start to realize that this is a hoax. You have to make it realistic enough for him to believe.
2: But at the same time, it didn't have to conform to um – realistic standards so like they had the escher stairs yep so like they, they just keep going up but they don't go anywhere and stuff like that so yeah the, I, think, think, things that could exist within a dream
0: yeah but the problem is if you go too far out of the bounds of reality then the, you the person that you're trying to basically scam here will start to realize yeah. that something is wrong and then his sub, their subconscious in the form um, in some cases they had like armed guards in the when they were trying to do the Inception, had armed guards coming after him. So they have to um, fight off the this person when he starts to realize that this is not what it seems to be.
2: An important point to remember and that for this tech – what they're doing is not the standard thing. The standard thing is to go in and extract a piece of information, whereas in the movie they're going in to place an idea, which is a very unconventional way to use this technology and and I think they say that nobody's ever actually tried this before
1: they so never like, done it successfully yes yeah.
2: and so like you know they show at the start he's trying to what is he he's trying to get a safe combination or something uh at the start of the The movie. And I think that's more standard. It's like this person has some piece of information, and we're trying to trick them into giving it up within their dream.
1: Well, and then the whole basis of all of the layers that we've already talked about is the idea that one businessman wants to crush his competition i mean that's the that's the underlying reality of it all is that the one businessman wants to um get into the brain of his competition and basically have uh, what happened is um a senior of competing company just died and junior is about to take over and you know isn't quite sure what he's going to do so you know, the person behind this whole movie basically wants to get into the head of Junior to say, you know, you need to kind of screw up your company so I can take it over. You know, so <laughs> that that it took me so long to realize that the whole point of this whole movie was to plant one small idea, like, hmm, I think I should sell off parts of my company. You know,
0: that's well, a, oh. none of these people are choir bo- choir boys by any stretch of the imagination here. Um, yeah, and yeah, like I say, it, it's all about uh, corporate uh, corporate espionage, or in this case, yeah, trying to you know get one over on your competition. But yeah, the idea of trying to plant an idea in somebody else's head without them realizing that it's not their idea, that it seems natural and has come out of their uh, subconscious somehow, uh, that's the tricky part to all of it.
1: You know, and I find this interesting that the approach, the technology um, that's the basis of this film. Um, requires that you use some sort of technology to plant this idea in somebody's head and make them believe it's theirs. I'm sorry, but you can do the same thing by talking to people the right way. I mean, a, sm- a silver tongue, yeah. two-tongued devil can make this happen as well. So, I mean, the whole movie is, is based on something where there are alternative um, strategies to achieve the same objective, and this is probably the most complicated way to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, you were talking about the tech, and they didn't elaborate on it, and it's probably just as well. But they did have the box with it looked like intravenous tubes. But you know, once you mentioned it, I don't remember anything going to the brain. Was it just the chemicals that?
1: Yeah, they had one of the people on the team was a chemist. You know, you could argue drug dealer um, that worked up some sedative. And, yeah, it was, I believe, simply like an IV. It wasn't like, you know, uh, EKG patches or whatever. Um, and and that was how they essentially built this dream state. And apparently there must have been, I don't know, again, it, the technology actually is pretty fuzzy. Um, I'm not sure how you got two people um, hooked to the same um you know, were they hooked up to the same fluid? Were they part of the, – I mean, there's got to be a network
2: of something there. You know what that box is? It's an empty steel box. When you open it up, it says plot device.
1: Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yep.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's one of those things you don't question. If you just put that out of the way – It's a
1: 1960s reel-to-reel recorder that, um, you know, they just right. pulled the reels off of. <laughs> the Mission Impossible theme <laughs> the playing song, the yeah. and will self-destruct
0: in five seconds. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it it really and and the, the movie does not get into the tech. They talk about some I was going to say some details about it, but they don't talk about the tech itself. They talk about, you know, get for instance again the the architect that's required to build these labyrinths so that basically you're uh, you can wander around this dream world forever without essentially running to the edge of the map. So,
0: yeah, and they kind of dance around the uh, chemist a little bit, you know, not a lot, but he just says, you know, we're going to have to give you a sedative. We're going to have to go deeper. And then, of course, the, uh, the problem with using uh, apparently a sedative, if I followed it correctly, you put you in so deep. Because normally, the way that you would get out of a dream state like that, uh, if somebody was to kill you in the dream state, you would come out. But they were going so deep that if you were killed, you would go into a state of limbo. And then you would be there until you got rescued. I did not right. exactly explain it. Yeah. Yeah. How did they get the Chinese or the Oriental man out of his, you know, he found them, but he just, they, they saw the gun there on the table. I never really said what he needed to do to get them out of there.
2: I think that was the, the point was that he needed to make him remember that he was actually in a dream. And right. that was, yeah, he had lost that focus and he had forgotten and he had, kind of like – he had accepted the reality of the dream and he – the DiCaprio's character, Dom, went and kind of – that was his thing was when he found him. He was showing him, no, we're still in this this dream. Do you remember? And once he remembered, then he could leave. That was my take on it anyways.
1: Yeah. And I think there was – at least I got the same impression that it implied that you had to be aware that you were in a dream. To to retain control of. If you lost track of
2: that, you would stay in limbo. And that that whole thing about if you die in a dream, you die. die like you see that over again and over again in all kinds of movies. I like. I didn't. You know, when, well, when I was getting ready for this, I didn't look that up. But I don't think that's like. <laughs> I don't think that's. Can't a very be because true. how
1: many dreams have you died in? I mean, good lord. Yeah. Uh,
2: like, I, I've had dreams where I was like, like in the process of being murdered. I don't remember actually going through death or anything, but uh, certainly I've had dreams where I was scared for my life and was being killed or something. Right. eh, Yeah. Yeah. But that certainly is a very common, you know, plot device.
0: Well, then the other way that they said that they could get you out of a dreamscape was by, um, what was the term they used? Basically, uh, if you had the sensation that you were falling and were jolted, a kick. kick. A kick. Yeah.
1: It was it took a kick to get from one level to another.
0: Because by the time you get to this movie, you have kick piled upon kick piled upon kick, and they all have to be kind of timed so that they can come from each layer on up because the top layer is the van falling towards the water. The next layer, let's see, is that the hotel where he finally puts him in the elevator? <sighs> What's the third layer? The, <laughs> the
1: mountain. The fourth? The mountain, the snowy the mountain. mountain scene. Yeah.
0: Okay, and then the fourth layer was when DiCaprio and the architect went down, way down in the uh, the next layer down to his wife who was kind of like – who. that's a story of itself because that's the only time – that was the one time when the Inception had been done correctly um, because he had implanted the idea in her mind that the real world was not real, that that was a dream. And the only way she could get out of it was to kill herself, so she jumps off – a ledge, a he kills herself, and he's forever, you know, emotionally...
1: Right, which I think we mentioned at the beginning that this has never been done before successfully. So that was the trick about it It may have been done before, but it basically killed somebody.
0: Well, the, the, yeah. the impression of the idea worked. It's just the outcome really kind of sucked. Right, yeah. Right. It
1: proved it worked, but it's kind of dangerous. Yeah.
0: Um, but, like I say so then you're, you uh so in order to time this all right they there was something about they would play music and then they would hear it in the next level so that they knew the kick was coming, so then they could time their kick with the one uh the next layer up um because if they didn't you know they might be stranded in this uh in that particular dreamscape uh dreamscape, so yeah it was all kind of a. Coordinated, and you know, by the end there, you know, you're watching the band fall in slow motion. It's been falling for about the last 20 minutes, um, and that was the other thing too. Time is different in each dream state. So by the time you got down to the, was it the fourth level? That could be like 10 years compared to what one minute.
1: Yeah, it was supposed to be. I think a factor of 20 to one. So every level you went down was, you know, time. One hour in reality was 20 hours in level one, and then one hour they, in level one. Did they ever one.
2: explain why?
1: No. But it did say that, you know, like um, when um, Cobb was in limbo there for a while, like 50 years, he thought 50 years had passed. He'd actually grown old there. Yeah. You know, when they finally came back, it was like, you know, an hour.
0: Well, just because I think you dream faster um, because apparently they've done tests with, you know, the uh, REM, the rapid eye movement, the deep sleep type stuff. Sure. And, you know, they wake people up and they said, how long do you think it was? And, you know, because you, you can dream this stuff pretty quick, really quickly as compared to actually having to live it. So I think that was the thought that they were using was that. And then apparently a dream within a dream would then multiply that. So, um that was their thinking.
1: You know, speaking of the dream within a dream, you could argue maybe that this is a piece of technology. But every team member had some totem that they would bring with them to identify whether or not they were in their own dream, basically. Um, and so in, in the case of Cobb, it was a, a spinning top that would um, spin, you know, forever uh, if he was in his... Um, Oh, let's see. It spinned when he was in his own dream, but it wobbled when it was – when he was in reality or somebody else's dream?
2: No, I think or it was, the other it, way around? Not, not, not that it would wobble. It's just that when it was in – if it was a dream, it would just spin forever. It would never stop spinning. I think that was the thing. And that it, that it might wobble, but it would never stop spinning. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why that's why the ending of the movie is significant because it starts to wobble, but they never show you if it stops or not.
1: Right, and you know, again, Wikipedia um, had an, had a nice discussion of that one because that is the, the end of the movie it makes you go, what, 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 you right. know, um, and uh, basically the uh, the director. Um, planned it that way Uh, he meant to make you scream going ah Uh, but that's
2: that's that's like that's christopher nolan and he's like at the end of this summer's batman movie is batman alive or dead right Uh, it's kind of like left up to you to determine well and, and
1: he's he he does make the statement that the most important emotional thing about the top spinning at the end is that cobb is not looking at it yeah. Um. So it, it, he doesn't care whether he's in his dream or in reality. Yeah. He's where he wants to be. Good enough. Yeah. So, yeah. The, you know. Again, there's not there. You know. And, and there's not a lot of tech to the dream. There's this secret box and some drugs. You know. That's about it. But, um, in each of the levels, there are certain amounts of technology. You know. The, the we've got the especially that snow. Um, mountain fort scene where there's all kinds of guns and skis and, you know, stuff and cool fortress, you know, James Bond type things. Um, But those are so secondary to the main plot of what the heck is going on.
0: Well, I kind of like the part where they're on the first level in the warehouse and they're being surrounded and they're trying to get out in the van to start and the guy's trying to shoot the Transformers with a gun and then uh, one of the other guys says, you know, you got to dream bigger or something to that effect and he pulls out a, a rocket launcher. Big-
2: <laughs> <and takes out laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Hey, I have a, uh, a question for both of you that this came up on the, the bit of reading that I did beforehand. Do Do both of you dream in color? honest, um.
0: I don't remember a lot of my dreams, and when I do, they're kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, the last one I remember having, I think, was in color. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have, have a lot to compare them to.
1: I have no idea. I mean, I have, I know even recently I've woken up some f- from some really vivid dreams, but when I wake up, I don't remember. I can remember, you know. Um, Venues and people and whatever. I don't remember right. if they're in color. And you certainly remember how you felt. I mean, like if you were yeah. afraid or if you were falling or if you were, you know, cold or whatever it might have been. I mean, it's always from your perspective. Right. And so I think that because from my perspective in daytime, it's, I would make the assumption they're in color, but I honestly don't know.
2: Yeah, because one of the things that I read said like only a small number of people dream in black, a small percentage of people dream in black and white. And I've never, ever remembered. It's like kind of like what you said, that it's not that it's specifically in black and white, but I never have any memories of any colors ever. Like, I've never had... I've never I've never woke up from a dream remembering any uh, colors of anything.
1: No, it's just like oh. that was a place, like a real place. And in my world, at least, real places have color. So I didn't think it was an odd place because it was in black and white. So, yeah. uh, you know, logic then would lead you to believe that it's probably in color. Right. Or it doesn't matter.
0: Well... <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, if you work from the assumption that dreaming is the subconscious's way of working out problems that you have, I must not be nearly as messed up as I think I am because I hardly have any dreams that I remember, uh, you know, that, you know, it doesn't feel like I'm working anything out uh, in these dreams. And when I do have them, they're just bizarre. Oh, Jeff,
1: you'll appreciate this one. Actually, one of the most vivid dreams I've had recently involved Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) really? Yeah. yeah. We were walking the streets in some European city is a bunch of gr- a group you know kind of like a nerdtacular thing and um we got to an intersection and we all had our cameras out and we we're like oh we should go over to this museum or whatever and take some photos and and patrick kind of goes no 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 we will go to this park over here and i will be the art and i'm i woke up laughing oh my god um what? but again you know that i think about that i'm pretty sure there were colors in that because i do remember a green park
2: i i don't often uh remember my dreams uh and i this is one that i i didn't remember like uh my wife and i went to visit friends in ottawa or in uh, montreal and i had gone to sleep early and she was reading in bed beside me and all of a sudden i sat bolt upright in bed and just goes cigarettes cigarettes, cigarettes. <laughs> and then i lay back down and went back to sleep and in the morning she told me about it like i have no memory what's like i i I mumble a lot in my sleep, but very rarely can she ever make out anything that I said. But like, yeah, it's a cigarette, cigarette, cigarette. Apparently, I was very upset. And,
0: uh and- well, You see, I had a dream like that, too. That was several years ago. Uh, I was laying in bed, and I jabbed my wife and said, salad. Well, that dream <laughs> I do actually remember because we were going through the uh, a buffet somewhere, and she couldn't decide if she wanted to have buffet buffet or to have the salad. And I was getting kind of torqued off, so I just kind of jabbed her and said, salad. Of
1: course. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Well, the chances are, if you're not remembering dreams, you're still having them. Yeah, you're just yeah, not remembering yeah. them. Yeah. So, yeah, it, this movie is, it does really take some, I know some people that have only watched it once, but they're not, I mean, I can't let go of it that easily. <laughs> it's just, it was so convoluted that it uh, – literally, the first time I watched it, it was like, okay, I got I, – I swear I watched it five times the first week. It was like, what? And it wasn't in the movie theater, so uh-huh. it was like, you know, keep the Netflix DVD for another few days because I got to watch this again. No, I still don't understand. I got to watch this again. Okay, it's starting to make sense. One more time. Okay, I think I got – oh, yeah, yeah. Now, okay, oh, I'm I, don't ask me to explain it to you, but I'm, I'm good now. So. Yeah,
2: I, I saw it in the theater, and I, I might have seen it a second time in the theater, but I remember after seeing it the first time, just as soon as the credits started to roll, the first thing I thought is, I want to see this on Blu-ray, and I want to hear the director's commentary. Yes. <laughs> I want to hear what, uh, what he was thinking.
1: Oh, and speaking of technology and Blu-ray... Um, let's talk about movie making technology. Holy cow. Some of the visual effects in here, and it, it won awards left, right, and center for it, but some of those things were just mind blowing. Yeah. Um, it this was fantastic.
0: It's kind of like the Matrix, which spawned its own type of style and such. And now you've got Inception type movies with the um, the bending and folding of uh, I don't even quite know how to talk, uh, describe it, where the city's Great. folding in on itself. Yep. Uh, so it, it, when a movie kind of inspires a, a style, that kind of says something about the movie
1: right and and when looking at the poster that was used for this movie you talk about the city folding in on itself that's the image they chose for that which makes yeah. sense because it's one of the most remarkable things you know, that's ever been put on a movie screen. Um, I'm, I'm sure it'll be copied left, right, and center, but to come up with that concept to begin with was just like, what? Yeah. Well, so.
0: And then to the watch them start, they come up to where the, the turns up and then they just walk. And um, I'd like to see how that scene was filmed because I'm sure it was a, a rotating box basically that they had to try and walk on maybe a green screen even Uh, but they had to walk from one level to the next while this is rotating around and um, that probably took them a couple takes just to kind of get their their balance and to make it look not completely weird
2: well this is one of the ones i think that they uh, filmed at least part of it in those uh, aircraft that go up and then they they dive down so they're weightless on my comments yeah
0: well, like the, yeah, the hotel level where he's basically for the last, for about, what, 10, 15 minutes, he's floating through the hotel because they're in free fall. So in that dream, they've lost their, their gravity. So he's floating around, grabbing all these people, lassoing them with the uh, cable from the uh, the dream box. They're putting them all in one big bundle like a bunch of cordwood, taking it down the hallway, putting it in the elevator. And he's got to float out, rig the explosives. Now, that. Now he rigged the explosives of the elevator would fall, but if they're in free fall, why would the elevator? You know, probably better off not even trying to figure that one out. But
1: yeah, there. I, I. It would take a lot more than five times through this movie for me, at least, to get down to the nitty gritty details about whether the plot and the tech and the story held together. I mean, there's. It's so um, convoluted that it's it's I, I think little it's, details would slip I, I think
2: by. It holds the holds together together pretty good i right? think so too yeah. yeah
0: i suppose you could say the explosives maybe provided the propulsion to send the elevator down Yep. why don't we just go with that and it'll make us feel better
2: but then on the other on the other hand like it's a dream right so you know you you get an awful lot of leeway say yeah. you know when your movie's <laughs> placed in a dream,
1: in a dream yeah and, and which basically says anything's a go and you know take that and run Oh, um,
2: I found something on the Wikipedia page, but we were talking about the, uh, the set for it. A hotel corridor was constructed, uh, blah, blah, blah. This, uh, the, it rotated a full 360 degrees to create the effect of, uh, of alternate di- directions of gravity for scenes set during the second level of dreaming, where the dream so, uh, selector physics become chaotic. So they must that that section where he walks up the wall and then walks on across the ceiling, mm-hmm. that must have been the scene where they where they uh, constructed the section of hallway that could be rotated. Cool. Uh, yeah, it was certainly you know innovative filmmaking. Like, uh, it was neat.
1: Yeah, I mean the technology that's depicted in the film might actually pale compared to the technology that was used to produce the film. Right. Um, it's yeah. It I, I don't. In my mind, this is kind of one of those leaps in filmmaking, like Star Wars was, maybe or, um, gosh, I think of things before that. But it just it it brought in stuff that most people wouldn't have tried. It and it did it well. It didn't just you know yeah. present the idea. It presented the new ideas and nailed
2: it this is a uh, one of the kind of movies that when you start to watch it when you think about how it was filmed this is where one of the things where you really see like movie making really is a team effort mm-hmm. like you have the screenwriter who comes up with the, the the plot and then you have the director who has this vision and, he, and then he's got a he's got to explain that to people that are going to build the sets that can do these crazy things that he wants to happen right and you know and i'm sure there's uh, you know, feedback back and forth about, well, we can't do it that way. You know, what about this? Like, uh, th- Completely separate movie. But I remember uh, seeing an interview with the guy, special effects guys from Jurassic Park. And you know when the Tyrannosaurus Rex is coming and it steps and you see the, the rings of the of it vibrating in the, the glass, the yep. glass of water that's in the truck? These guys were saying about how Steven Spielberg had told them, what I want is just to have this... This vibration, so there's a perfect ring of water uh, in there, and they tried everything over and over. They would hit the car and bounce it, and it wouldn't work. And then it ended up they hooked up uh, an electric guitar to the frame of the um, of the vehicle, and it it was a they would pluck a a note, or maybe it it needed harmonics. Yeah, exactly. It it couldn't be destructive noise. It had to be harmonic noise to to get it to do that because otherwise it would
1: just splash not
2: ripple yeah but like you know it and when you see the outcome like that's a really powerful scene yep and he had to you know tell these special effects guys what he wanted and they had to you know figure out how to make it work and probably spent two or three
1: weeks trying to get it sorted Yeah.
2: yeah i remember they said it was it took them a long time to figure out how to do it yeah interesting
0: well, you know, we've watched this movie, and we're still kind of scratching our head. How the heck do you pitch this movie to somebody? <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a good point. Like, this is a, this would be a tough movie to go in and try and sell, you know. I'd like you to spend $100 million on, you know, something that, yeah, well, it's, well, just trust me. Give me $100 million bucks.
1: If Wikipedia addresses this. It oh, okay. says, shortly after finishing Insomnia, Nolan wrote an 80-page treatment about dream stealers and presented the idea to Warner Brothers, envisioned as a horror film inspired by lucid dreaming, feeling he needed to have more experience with large-scale film production. Nolan re- retired the project instead worked on Batman Begins, the Prestige, Dark Knight, spent six months polishing the script before Warner Brothers purchased it in February 2009. Um, so, y- yeah, it basically had to you know, sleep on it and get back to you later because um, it it had to have been a tough sell. And they spent um, $160 million making the thing. And, of course, they probably made that back in the first week. But um, $100 million in advertising on top of it. But it, in the end, it's grossed over $800 million and it has $68 million in DVD sales on top of that. So um, it's certainly made its money back. Matter of fact, it's been one of the highest grossing films ever made. But, uh, yeah, I want to do this movie about dreams, you know, and I want to make, like, the biggest budget film, you know, you probably got on your payroll at the moment.
0: Uh, And like you said, it is a dream, so it gives you kind of a pliable... Surface to work with because that one scene where the first, a train just starts going down the street for you know no reason there wasn't no track there it just starts driving down the the street you know that's yeah. not exactly real life but you can say. You know, you you could say, hey, you know, I want a three-legged elephant. Sure, fine, go for it. Uh, You know, it's a dream. You can cook up whatever you want. So it gives you a little leeway to play around with things. You don't have to necessarily deal with reality. Yeah, and the flip side of
1: that is that you don't have to deal with the uh, constraints of reality. You know, a a train going down a highway, um, you can decide, you know, within some sort of boundary of physics, you know, how that looks and what that does. Um, you know, in order for people to believe it. Um, So, yeah, that, you know, putting a, what a heck of a plot device, you know. We're just going to make this movie about a dream, and therefore I can do with it whatever I want. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, you want to have the three musketeers fighting space aliens? Go for it. Yeah,
1: really. (laughs) It's a dream. But,
2: like, I can see why he kept it the way he did. Like, he, he wanted to make a, you know, he didn't want it to be a, a farce movie he wanted it to be fairly serious so like so most of this stuff is kept within kind of what we would consider realistic or reality type
1: right you know. it, it's still science fiction as opposed yeah. to science comedy or you know yeah, space yeah, comedy yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff or anything like that there, there's no comedy in this film okay. so yeah good good movie uh, let's see any other details.
2: Not another, not a lot of. Like we said a few times, there's not a whole lot of tech stuff in here. But
1: no, there there was one scene, and I, I should have gone back and watched it a few more times. Where they've got the intern, the architect intern, uh, and they're teaching her what needs to be. I, I remember them standing in front of a mirror. What so do? You, does this ring a bell? Yeah, like-
0: where they're walking down the street, yep. and she swings this big mirrored door out, which was, she just made it a mirror at that point, kind of just pulled it around, because I don't think it was a mirror before, but she just kind of grabbed this slice of dream reality and pulls it around like a mirror, and then right. she w- turns around 180 degrees, does the same thing back there. So then you get kind of this um, you know, reflection upon reflection, um, uh, wormhole type uh, vision there
1: right and that's something i think that you know there there's i hate to call it technology i guess that's not the right word for it perhaps but that that whole concept is what's kind of like the icshire or the penrose stairs um where you've got the infinity Portrayed within like 100 feet. <laughs> so right. it's uh, it was an interesting little twist to everything else. I mean, I, that scene stands out in my mind because everything else was already hard to believe. And then all of a sudden you introduce this business of mirrors. It's like, ah, I don't know what to believe anymore. So...
0: I know the one scene that I'm going to have to go back and watch because I just can't quite catch what she's saying. When he's uh, just towards the end of the movie there and he's talking to the, uh, his wife in their dream world there with, and the architect is there, uh, he's talking to her about something. I just can't quite catch the last thing that she says before um, the architect throws herself off the, the building to get back to the next dream state.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, there's not much tech in there, so which piece of tech do we want? I don't want this dream thing, I'll tell you that.
2: You don't want what?
1: I don't want this dream machine.
2: Oh, I do? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'd love to, like, I've never had, uh, uh, what do they call them, uh, waking dreams or whatever, where, where you real, you're real, you in a dream and you realize it's a dream. Uh-huh. I'd, love, I'd love that. So, like, I'd, I'd love it, some sort of device where I could know that I was in a dream and then be able to manipulate it. That'd be cool. Hmm.
0: And maybe it says something about my character, but I would like to try this Inception and plant ideas in people's heads. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. you, you, sir, are an evil genius. <laughs> yes.
1: I'm the evil overlord. I just want the uh, hotel hallway with zero gravity. I'd <laughs> be good with that. Or those drinks. That There was a scene at a bar somewhere. They're, they had some, some killer drinks there, it appeared.
2: Do, do you guys listen to uh, the Major Spoilers podcast?
1: Mm, yeah.
2: They have uh they have like a spin-off podcast called Top 5 where they just pick a topic and each of the guys say their top 5 things on that topic. And they they had one where they like uh the top 5 things that they would do if they become if they instantly became a multimillionaire and Rodrigo uh, he got about halfway through, and he goes. When we were preparing for this, I realized that it's a good thing I don't have all this money because every single thing that he picked was how he would just like totally screw with people. <laughs> like he, and he like one of the things he said he wanted to give like a million dollars to some trivial group. Like he said, like the the uh, Boy Scout troop of Hayes you know, Kansas, and just watch them self-destruct. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought that was very funny. Like, oh, my gosh. I am, I am an evil genius. Oh,
0: Rodrigo. no. <laughs> I, I would be a benevolent overlord.
1: That's
2: it.
0: <laughs> I'd be benevolent. I'd just be screwing with people's minds. But, um... <laughs>
2: you, sir, have a strange view of what benevolence is.
0: <laughs> sure. I'm going to improve them. And with that, the world size uh, really, uh, gives us high relief, and we'll wrap this up um, for this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at sci or follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have any ideas, comments, uh, please send them to uh, sci at gmail.com. And reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Julie, where can people find you in cyberspace?
1: Well, you can pretty much always find me on Twitter at Julie Keel, J U L I E K U E H L, and um, I've got a website where I'm kind of uh, aggregating all the stuff I'm doing here, there, and everywhere on the web, which is at Julie Keel
2: dot me dot m e.
0: And Jeff, where's your little slice of heaven on the internet?
2: Well, I most. Uh... Most of the time I'm frequenting Twitter and you can find me at Sire S-Y-E-R, and follow my random rantings. And I, I would actually like to give a shout out to uh, somebody else on Twitter I've been following. He's a Canadian guy who's uh, Commander Chris Hadfield, who is currently on the International Space Station. And I would strongly recommend you follow him. It's, and a major he's, geek. Yeah, a major geek. He's Commander Chris Hadfield on Twitter, and he is posting the coolest pictures not on Earth.
1: <laughs> yeah, including wearing his red shirt. Everything yes. goes back to Star Trek. <laughs> we almost had an episode where I didn't say
0: that. I was
2: going to say after we were finished recording that you
0: hadn't said that. Curses. Anyway, and I can be found on Twitter at DSC Chipman, and I have an about.me page at about.me uh, dash, uh, slash Mike McPeak. Um, and that's it for the show, and we'll see you in the future.